see we have some Mission Meadows staff uh, that's been frequenting the building, and I just want you to know that that tie-dye shirt is for you. That tie-dye shirt is for you. Hope that you feel welcome because of that. Um, okay, so you've heard of the wedding singer, but have you heard of the funeral singer? Here's a story about the funeral singer. As a singer, I sing at many funerals. I was recently asked by a funeral director to play and sing at a gravesite service for a homeless man. He had no family or no friends, so the service was to be at the Popper Cemetery out in the country. As I was not familiar with the area, I got lost. I finally arrived an hour late and saw that the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only two diggers and a crew left, and they were eating lunch. I felt bad, and I apologized to the men for being late to this funeral. I went to the side of the grave, and I looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I just started to play. The workers put down their lunch and they began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no family and friends. I played and I sang with all of my heart. As I sang and played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept. I wept. We all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my keyboard and I started for my car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. And as I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen nothing like that before and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> Apparently, I was lost. Now you wish you would have paid attention to the whole story rather than thinking about lunch. Destination is important. Our ultimate destination is paramount. It's paramount. How many uh, families or people in the room have been on a, uh, a recent road trip? Uh, raise your hand if you've been on a recent road trip. How many of you have been on a recent road trip with children? Okay, you know where I'm going with this? Are you ready? One, two, three. Are we there yet? 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 How long till we get there? How long till we get there? They want to know what is the destination, not not what the destination is, because they all know they're ready to get there. They want to know how long it takes to get to the destination. Destination is paramount. Whether it's a family road trip, whether it's anything. You put in your GPS the current location that you're at and the destination that you want to go to. They, Siri makes it really easy for us, doesn't she? It's really clear what our destination that we're going to. In fact, sometimes we know where we're going, but we don't know the address. So we're Googling this particular place that we've been to a million times. We just don't know the numbers that it takes to get to that destination. But how many of you in the room specifically men, have been lost, like this poor 
uh, funeral singer. It's hard to admit that you're lost, even you humble guys that were like slowly like, yeah. It's, it's a difficult thing to admit that you're lost. That you may know what the final destination is, but you're not sure fully how to get there from your current location. You may know what the final destination is, but you're not fully sure how to get there from your current location, a.k.a. you're lost. But if you've been in a car with someone who uh, is maybe humble, gracious, kind, unkind, whatever, if you're lost, what is the general comment that's thrown out from the passenger side or from the back seat? It's, it's a phrase like this, where are you going? Where are you going? Which is a funny question to ask when you're literally lost. Like, I don't know. Why would you push my buttons in that way? You're adding gasoline to the fire of being lost. Where you're going is of utmost importance when you're trying to find your destination. So we begin this series on the promised land. It's in context, it's about the Israelites, how they... Uh, were promised a place. They were promised a land filled with milk and honey. And not just a place, but a place to be, to live, to thrive, to grow, to experience God's goodness in the land of the living. This journey was not short, but this journey mattered. And you're here today, and I need to, I need to like bring you right to the front. I need you to lean in and engage in this moment that you may not be the Israelites, but this is a, ultimately a metaphor for what God is doing in our life. It's ultimately what he's bringing us to, the promised land. For the Israelites, it was the promised land. It was, it was Israel before there was Israel. Uh, 102 pilgrims uh, back in the 1600s left a place that they were oppressed religiously and they wanted religious freedom. And they came on the Mayflower. There's lots of different variations, but I'm going to simplify it. They came for a promised land. They came for a place where they could come to the United States of America, where they could experience freedom, where they could worship God how they wanted to worship God because they were oppressed, not just by the government, but specifically the Church of England, which was essentially in that, in re religious uh, perspectives of the same thing. They wanted religious freedom, so they knew that no matter what they had to go to in migrating over here, that they were pursuing what was ultimately promised to them. And once the first pilgrims, once the first settlers had came, and as that population grew, the word got back. There is a place that's promised where we can be free and worship how we want. This land is promised. We just celebrated our independence. And what an incredible story the United States specifically and most parts of North America have in regards to this idea of freedom and religious freedom. It was led by these pilgrims. They understood that the ultimate destination, the promised land, the United States, was a place where they would be free. So they set out to be on a journey of freedom. Fast forward time, there was also another leader that had this vision of a promised land, Martin Luther King. 
Martin Luther King in the 50s and 60s uh, was a Baptist preacher, fiery preacher, that believed that segregation should be no more. And so he thought his, the action would, his action would be through nonviolence. His action would be through speaking and loving and casting a dream, casting a wide net for this promised land where people could be treated as equal. In the 50s and 60s, when he was assassinated in 1968, ultimately he died, but his dream did not die. And it was carried on by many others before that believed in the promised land of what it could be for all people. See, these are, th- these are real life metaphors to describe the journey to freedom. It, like this is, this is like in our DNA as Americans. This is in our DNA as people right now, like in this specific time, in 2019. Don't you feel like everybody wants to be an activist? Everybody's fighting for some type of right. It's in our bones. It's a good thing. It's sometimes God has wired us in a way to stick up for what's right because we believe that something is better ahead. We believe that there is a promised land. But ultimately, why we're doing this series, ultimately, where I want to go today in talking about our destination is that I believe, I believe, as your pastor, that each one of you guys are on a journey to freedom. Christ has ultimately given us freedom, forgiveness, hope, eternal life, and it's instant as we place our faith in him. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But we all have areas of our life where we need more freedom. We need God to work in our lives to remove things in our life that are holding us back. That are segregating things apart when he needs to bring in unity. That are ultimately holding us back from true freedom and grace and hope that he ultimately died to give us. And so for this promised land... I felt it would be appropriate for us to describe what this journey to freedom would look like. Um, This was our best attempt. As the man in the video seemingly is on a journey, I thought it would be appropriate to kind of outline what it would look like for us to be on a journey for these six weeks. And I'm super grateful for these guys that, that set this up. But I think camping is a is an incredible example of this, this right here, this is temporary. This is temporary. And last week, Pastor Cameron walked us through um, week one. He talked about our current location. In order to understand our destination, we have to understand where we are currently located. So before we go any further, I want you just to kind of, in your own heart and mind, kind of identify where you're at. What is your current location? Not, obviously, Conduit in Jamestown, New York. But what is your current location with Almighty God? Are you living in freedom? Are you able to look back, as we did this past week, for our country and celebrate the freedom and the independence that we had as we celebrate on July 4th or if you're Canadian on July 1st um, 
celebrating that freedom and looking back about, about all the things that had to happen in order for us to be free. Are there mile markers in your life right now that recognize, like, this was a point where I saw give, God give me freedom and hope. This is when I was saved. This is when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Many of you guys recently um, were baptized. You can look back and say, this was the moment where I was dunked in a river. I died with my own sin, and I rose with Christ to new life. This was a moment where I felt God's presence in my life. This was a moment where he had miraculous provision in my life. This was a moment where I felt the unity and the gospel community of what the church is supposed to be. This is what it's like to serve. These are all aspects that are a part of our journey to freedom, but ultimately the freedom Christ offers is now in salvation. So our ultimate destination is heaven. Our ultimate destination is to be and live with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and his saints forever and ever. But what does that mean for us now? How would you feel on any journey? No matter, identify wherever you're at on that journey. Maybe you're in a spot that's just really Maybe you're not sure where you're at on the journey. Maybe, like, this is a great-looking campsite on your journey, but maybe you have none of this. You feel as though you're in a desert. I don't feel God. I don't hear God. I've got nothing to offer. I've got, I feel so alone. I feel so broken. Maybe you're consumed, and maybe you're stuck in a forest. Maybe everywhere you look, you're consumed with things, but you still can't see the forest through the trees. Like you can't figure out where you're going. You're lost. Identify where you're at. Or maybe you're in a season of blessing. Maybe you're in a season where you can identify that the ultimate freedom God is offering you right now in this season is his peace. It's his contentment. As you're good, as he's the good shepherd. But along any journey, what if, how would you feel on this long journey? How would you feel if you were promised, you were promised that you would reach your destination? What if you were promised that no matter what happens, that you're going to reach that destination? You'd be like Abraham, Isaac. And in this case, Jacob. Would you turn to Genesis chapter 28? Genesis chapter 28. Cameron outlined a bit about the promise that was given to Moses and the Israelites. Abraham, ultimately, the promised land, promised amount of descendants. Abraham's son Isaac and his son Jacob here is a perfect example. Look at verse 15. Here's the context. That ultimately they're still on a journey. And this journey takes generations. This is not, I mean, I don't know your, your road trip records. But I'm about, like, after like six hours, I'm done. Like, get me there. Or we got to stop and get some sunflower seeds and some, something needs to happen. 
play 20 questions. Something needs to happen about that six-hour mark. I'm done. But this journey was not six hours. This journey took decades and generations. And here we are generations later. Jacob has a dream. And God speaks to him in the dream. In verse 15, this is the promise I want you to hone in and zoom in on. There's so much context to this, but I want, we got a lot to cover, so I want you to just see this. It says in verse 15, behold, I am with you. God is saying to Jacob, I'm with you. I'm present. I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. I know we live in a society where when somebody promises something, we're so used to that promise being broken. Those are just sometimes words being thrown out. But when God makes a promise, when God sets up a covenant, when God says he's going to do something, he does it Every single time. Never in the history of mankind has he never followed through with his promise. So you can take it to the bank. God is saying to you in his word this morning, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you until he is done doing what he's wanting to do in you. Today, conduit, listen. He wants more for you. He wants more freedom. He wants more presence in your life. He wants to use you to grow his kingdom. He wants to grow you in the knowledge of his word. He wants to empower you. Do you know how bad he wants to empower you? Well, after he died, he sent his spirit to live inside of you. Not like to like stay in this one place that we can go to or pilgrimage to this promised land to like rub the rock and feel like we have God's spirit. He sent his actual spirit to live inside you, to give you power, presence, comfort, to divide truth. And he wants to awaken you, even in this moment. Not just awaken like this idea so you feel empowered by the spirit of God, but to actually set you on fire for the kingdom of God and his purpose in your home, your church, and in your city, people. Like, we have to awaken to this. This is not just some metaphorical church games. The God of all can reside inside of you based on your faith and trust and salvation to him. He wants to do that. He wants to live inside you. He wants to empower you. He wants to bring you along this journey and give you freedom along the way. Yes, he wants to bring you to heaven. I feel as though the generation before us, the big focus was just about praying a prayer so that when you die, you wake up to be with God and you wake up in heaven. That is a big deal because eternity is a long time. Imagine a rope from that wall to that wall. If our life, even if we live 100 years, may be about this much of it. To give you an idea of how eternity is so long. So I get the understanding that you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. For by grace you're saved, not of works. It's so that you don't boast. It's putting your faith and trust, calling on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That is of utmost importance for eternity, for that entire span of what eternity is. 
hey, but guys, that is, God is not some far off, oh, once we get there, it'll be great. He made this place we're going to be at for a long, long time called heaven. There's a now part to this. I don't serve a God of tomorrow and yesterday. We serve a God who is living and active, alive. Even Jesus, who died, is living again. They're alive. The Holy Spirit is alive in us. God the Father is seated on the throne. God the Holy Spirit is sent to live. There's life. And so that tells me that we are alive now. And so when he says in his word, even back at the beginning in the Bible, back in Genesis, when he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised, that's what that means. That's what that means. We have to grasp that. So again, how would you feel if on this difficult, daunting, long journey, even if it feels like years, what if you were promised that you would ultimately reach that destination? John 10.10. John 10.10. I'm going to bust through quite a few verses, so if you can flip fast, go for it. If not, just watch the screens. Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He's talking about being a good shepherd. He's talking, about, he's talking to his disciples. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life more abundant. Church, this isn't, following Christ is not just about fire insurance that when you die, a holy God will see Jesus' righteousness covering you and you will receive eternal life. It is about life abundant now. In fact, if you've read the scriptures, you've searched the scripture, yes, there's a lot in light of eternity, but so much has to do with our life today, right now, this moment. Life abundant. God wants more for you. God has more for you. God desires great things for you. He wants to set you free, not just then. He wants to set you free now. So where are you on the journey? Now, this is what I want you to take away today. If last week was about your current location and today is about the destination, I want you to hear me loud and clear. Your journey matters. Your current location matters matters. But where are you going? I, I know that's a really popular thing now in, in church, and it should be, to say, hey, your journey matters. Your journey along the way matters. Your current location, wherever you're at with God, that matters. But I want to say, loud and clear about your destination, where are you going? Where are you going? There was a guy that wondered this um, when Jesus was alive. In fact, he was a pretty religious guy, Nicodemus. And he snuck in the middle of the night and he found Jesus. They had a secret conversation because he didn't want all his religious people, his peers, to know that he was truly seeking his final destination. And this is where we get John chapter 3, a verse that your kids know, you probably know. 
Say it with me if you know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Woo! This is awesome. So think about this. We know this verse. This happened because a religious guy named Nicodemus snuck out in the middle of the night, found Jesus, had this secret conversation like, Psst, okay, talk about heaven. You talk about being with God. How do I get there? How do I get there? So our ultimate destination matters. Eternal life matters. Eternal life is our promised land. Eternal life is our promised land. And again, your journey matters. Your current location matters. Where are you going? Where are you going? In light of eternity, yes, eternal life, but yes, also now, on that journey to freedom, where is your abundant life? Where does it show loud and clear God's desire for you to be free? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. This is an incredible verse. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to, like, hope for this. Hey, y'all, get this. You don't have to leave these doors wondering if you were to die in the parking lot or on the way home or to have a heart attack in the middle of the night. You don't ever have to wonder where you're going. Eternal life is promised to you. That is the promised land. John is writing this, this to us that we would know that those that believe on the name of the Son of God, that they may know that they have eternal life. Do you believe in the, the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came for you, to give you life eternal, to give you life abundant, to forgive you of your sins if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. This is why, this is why we are alive. This is what gives us life. Bottom line, Jesus ultimately came on his journey of freedom. He came to set the captives free. One of the greatest analogies to think about, and it talks a little bit about this throughout Revelation, but I think about what did Jesus do for three days when he was dead? <laughs> where was he? Like his body was in the tomb, but like where was, like I just think about this, and I don't, I, I know this isn't straight out of the word, but I just, my daydream about this, and I think about just the him unlocking chains, unlocking prison doors, unlocking you, knowing where we would fail, knowing where we would sin, knowing where we would violate holy God. And he set us free. He set the captives free, chains dropping. Because that's why he came, is to bring us eternal life and life here more abundant. Now, I referenced Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. When it's talking about our salvation, how it is uh, ultimately not because of our works. When the Israelites were promised the promised land, 
And they were brought many different places, specifically as Cameron talked about last week, uh, the, the story of the Exodus and how Moses brought the Israelites from out of bondage and brought them to the promised land, even after it took 40 years or so to get there. A lot of wandering, questioning. But ultimately they made it. We learned this when we went through this series on Joshua. All that it took for him to lead, even though Moses at that point had died. Joshua, as he brought them into the promised land, it's really easy when we think about eternal life, or we think about the place of freedom that God's bringing us, it's easy for us to think that we've done something to get us there. That, that we've contributed something to that journey. I, want you to, I do want you to turn here. Deuteronomy chapter 9. I know we're kind of bouncing a bit, but this story of, the, story of um, the journey for the freedom, journey for freedom for the Israelites was not a short journey. In fact, that's the summary of most of the Old Testament. It's how God brought them on that journey of freedom to this place. So Deuteronomy chapter 9. And we're going to read a few verses here. Um, I want you to see this. And if you have time, go back and read this entire chapter. The banner over the chapter is not because of our righteousness. We don't have salvation. We don't get to the promised land because of our righteousness. This is, this is way before even Jesus came to die for our sins. They knew even then that the promised land, that the forgiveness of sins wasn't based on what they did or did not do. Listen. Verse 3. Now therefore today, that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So he's talking about all these armies that need conquered in the place that God had promised them. So it wasn't as if they just showed up and there's this empty land and, and like things are just beautiful and ready. Their beds are made. No, they had to conquer the land. They had to wipe out other people in order to claim that. And if that's hard for you to unpack, we can't unpack that right now. We can have a conversation after. Because that's a bit hard. That's a, that's a bit difficult to swallow when you think about the reality of what had come in order for them to claim that the, the promise that God had given them. But it says, he will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly. As the Lord has promised. This is what I want you to get. Verse 4. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. Don't, don't say in your heart when you have victory. When you walk across the line, across the threshold into the promised land. Don't, don't say in your heart that it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into the, to possess the land. Do you, do you get this? 
Like just, just like zoom in for a moment. Like hone in for a second. He's saying, don't say in your heart, this is because of all the good deeds you've done. Because of your righteousness or how hard you've journeyed or how much you've sacrificed or your kids have sacrificed or your church has sacrificed. Don't look at the blessing of God. Don't look at the promised land. Don't look at eternal life or and look for one second that this is because of your righteousness. None of us deserve that blessing. None of us on our own deserve that promised land. Whereas it was because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or your uprightness of your heart are you going to possess the land. But because of the wickedness of these other nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Now therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess it because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. <laughs> are you awake this morning? This is where God's sense of humor and a little bit tongue-in-cheek because he really meant it because they were stubborn people comes into play. He's not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been a re rebellious against the Lord. Um, when we look at the blessings on our life, when we look at eternal life given to us, and we realize that we have not contributed to salvation. In fact, I heard this quote. I don't remember who said it. It wasn't me. Um, I've heard it so many times. And it says, the only thing that we contributed to our, our salvation was our sin that necessitated a savior. The only thing that we have contributed to our own salvation was our sin that necessitated a savior. So when we look at our own salvation, of us placing our faith in Jesus Christ, when we look at the eternal life that has been given to us, when we look at the abundant life and the blessings that are around us right now, when you look at your family, you look at your church, do not look at it as if it's your righteousness that has brought that. God's grace and his mercy on your life has ultimately brought that. And this doesn't put us in an insecure place. This doesn't put us in a bad place. This should fill us with gratitude. This should fill us with worship. This should fill us with, I want to live for Jesus because he's given me everything. And I can now say in my life, Jesus is everything because he's given me everything that I have. And I'm so blessed and I'm so honored to follow him because of that. You see, Jesus is the center of this. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is 
our righteousness. This is why relationship with Jesus is paramount for us. This is why we say as our number one code that Jesus is everything. It's because it's our desire for you. When he's put in the center of your life, when he's put at the, as a beacon in your life to go after, to live with, to spend time with, you have this understanding that he is ultimately heaven. That Jesus is ultimately heaven. John Piper put it this way. Listen to this. He said, if you woke up in heaven and there was no more pain, amen, no more sorrow, no more tears, you're there forever. All the brokenness is healed. All your loved ones are there. All your friends are there. You're filled with joy. It's perfect. But if Jesus wasn't there, would it still be heaven? And I know what you're thinking. I'm in church, so I'm supposed to say, yeah, Jesus. Of course I want Jesus there. But listen, this should be a really revealing aspect to your heart. We all want lack of pain, sorrow, tears. We all want unity with our friends. But if Jesus is absent, is it really heaven? Heaven is Jesus. Heaven is actual presence with Jesus. Heaven is centered around the King of kings, the Lord of lords. In fact, Cameron uh, referenced this last week. He said this, um, this quote I wrote down, if I can find it. Um, he says, uh, he was referencing Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and that the name of Jesus means deliverer. And that verse talks about that there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men where we can be saved. There's no salvation given outside of the name of Jesus. So when we arrive in heaven, we should not be surprised that all of eternal life is centered around. Attention is on Jesus, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, our hope. And this is why that abundant life that Jesus says, I come to give you life and life more abundant. Immediately, think about this. When you hear that phrase, Jesus has come to give me life and life more abundant, immediately start thinking about blessing and money and friends and all that this life will offer. Let's rewind. What did Jesus say? I come to give you life and life more abundant. Jesus is that life. Jesus has come to give himself, not just stuff. That is salvation. When you come to an altar, when you come to a place, when you 
ask Jesus into your life and you say, Jesus, today of salvation, I give you my life. Save me. And then you know what? If that hasn't happened for you yet, if you've never taken that simple step to begin a relationship with Jesus, let today be that day. But let that moment be not about your life getting better or more abundant in your eyes. Here's the prize. Jesus. You get Jesus in that moment. You get his spirit residing in you, giving you all you need and desire, giving you freedom on that journey. When you receive Christ, you receive Christ. That is the abundant life. Oh, man. So one final thought, and then I'm going to give you a, a practical takeaway. If your journey matters and your current location matters, you need to know where you're going. You need to know your destination. Um, I, uh, I recently heard a story about um, <laughs> how life on this earth is really a lot like camping. That as uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, that our citizenship, our citizenship as believers, as followers of Jesus, is in heaven. And from it we wait, await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, We know that if the tent, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made of hands, eternal in the heavens. I heard a story recently that was comparing the idea of life on earth is camping, and uh, this idea that, that life is so temporary. Life is but a vapor. And that when you go camping, uh, I recently went camping with Josh Kreider, and he's got all the camping stuff. In fact, I think most of the stuff on stage here is his. And I show up with hardly anything. I just don't have the gear, right? Uh, the story that I heard recently was a, a similar story about a guy who went camping with the guy that had, like, all the stuff. And this other guy... Um, he didn't have much, but what he did have was a very large hammer and a very powerful tent stake that was much different than this. Um, and he talked about how he, uh, he would, he, the guy that was normally camping uh, and had all the, the right gear, this other guy, this novice camper guy um, came and he, you know, they had set up their camp and he noticed that he was taking these stakes and he was driving them with a huge hammer, like right into the ground. And he's noticing as he's putting them like way in the ground, he's like, it's like, it's not even windy. What are you doing? He was making something that was meant to be temporary to be somewhat permanent. And he laughs about how uh, when it started pouring down rain as they were kind of packing up their camp, he, he was talking about how he was in his car 
watching the windshield wipers go by as his friend is still trying to yank up those tent stakes that should be temporary. When, that's why they give you, when you have a, a tent, they give you these tiny little metal stakes because they're meant to whoop, whoop, even on a windy day, right? It's not meant to be driven in the ground with a heavy stake, something that is meant to stay. Our life is temporary. Our life is meant to be like that tent. We get so wrapped up in this life. And I almost feel like it's us taking a stake like this in a temporary home like that and driving that stake in as if we're going to be here for a long, long time. We make life so plush as if it's not a vapor as if it's not going to vanish. I mean, imagine next time you go camping, you're, uh, you see tons of people camping, they're getting their gear out, and you have a tent a lot like this, and you see all of a sudden this like lady carrying in this giant chandelier, and she's like, she's got an extension cord running three campsites out, and she's like trying to like put this giant chandelier, or imagine, um, or imagine uh, you see Bobby McKeever um, next time you go camping. You see Bobby McKeever, since he's a plumber, he's like making indoor plumbing a thing in his tent. Like he's, he's brought uh, pipes and shovels and stuff that you bring to, to do plumbing, and he's making indoor plumbing in his tent. It'd be ridiculous, right? That'd be absolutely ridiculous. In fact, if you saw any of that when you're camping, you'd probably be like, all right, kids, let's go. Like, this, those people crazy. But that's exactly what we do, isn't it? We make something temporary, this home. We're on this journey to freedom. But we act like it's ultimately permanent. I asked Cameron to bring this steak because, and I, I doubt it was even this extreme, to be honest, but I was imagining the kind of steak that would have nailed Jesus to the cross. And again, I don't imagine that this would be, it would be this extreme or this needed, but if you could use your imagination. Have you ever thought about when Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross, Jesus' feet were nailed to the cross. After Jesus died for our sins, the wrath of God was poured out on him. He says, it is finished. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he takes his last breath. And Jesus is dead on the cross. And it's time to take him down and put him in the tomb. Have you ever thought about this? I, I was thinking about this, that those stakes were driven in his hand and feet, the, his hands and feet, as if they wanted him to stay there, not permanently. I mean, it would be needed in order to hold a grown man up on the cross. But just think about this. What did it take 
his dead hands off or the feet of our Savior off of that cross. And, and I know that gives maybe a gruesome picture, but I want, you to, I want you to ponder that for a moment. I think there's an analogy there. That there's something that was supposed to be nailed to the cross that was ultimately permanent. It wasn't Jesus. It was the sin that put him there. And that is the perfect picture of what is ultimately supposed to be driven with the stake to be permanent on the cross is our sin. It was meant to stay there. It was meant to be permanent because there's a huge difference between a stake that's temporary and a stake that's permanent. And I want you to know this morning that your life, although it is not ultimately permanent on this planet, your soul will live on forever somewhere. And God has come, sent his son, Jesus, to save us from hell and to bring our soul because of his work on the cross to heaven, to be with him. And I know that today it's, it's not super encouraging to maybe hear that, like, all right, this life's going to end, our life is but a vapor, but I do want you to be encouraged that there is a gift that is offered to you, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of the peace of God that is given to the Son, Jesus, that was offered to you and is offered to you this morning. Maybe this morning you're on this journey to freedom and you're not sure where to start. Let this be a start. That your journey matters and your current location, you understand that you need Jesus. And that you would take this step this morning and literally the step of faith, this first step and recognize that there is no other name by which I can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And maybe for you this morning, it's as we close, as the, the worship team comes up, as we close, um, as we sing this song, maybe this is that moment for you. Where you recognize that your sin was staked to the cross. That you can have freedom. That you can have eternal life that has been promised. It's been promised. It was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the Israelites, to Moses, to Joshua, to a nation, down to you. And maybe today you know this. You know this. Like you know Jesus died for you. You know that you can be forgiven. You know that you can have salvation in the name of Jesus. But maybe you, at this moment, need to take that step and receive it. Maybe for you in this moment, recognizing your current location is, I don't know where I'm going. Let this be a voice from the back seat up to you, the driver of your life, to say, where are you going? You can know. You can know. Believe. 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. There's no other news that you will receive today or any day that will be better than that. Christians, followers of Christ, what does it look like to live in the promised land knowing that you've already made this decision? You're saved. You're baptized. You're part of the church. You're in gospel community. You're involved in your church. You're giving to the church. You're investing in the kingdom. You're making disciples. You're sharing your faith. You're, you're, you're serving. Your life is given. Your love is given. This is what it looks like to live in the promised land now. This is the abundant life he's offered us. Followers of Jesus, is that a picture of your life? And if not, I, I, would, I, would, I would like encourage you, I would strongly encourage you that yes, you have this temporary tent, this moment in your ultimate journey to heaven, your ultimate journey to the promised land that he's offered freedom for eternity. But right now, Right now, today, it looks like being saved. It looks like being baptized. It looks like coming to church. It looks like serving. It looks like being involved in gospel community. These are the things that mark this journey to freedom. So where are you? Where is your current location? Where are you going? Would you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to invite you to come pray if you need that. I want to be super clear this morning that if you've never taken that step to be saved, if you've never taken that step to follow Christ, let today be that day. And this final song, it's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Save me. Redeem me. Forgive me. Lead me. Amen.